Sego. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for joining me. Um, look, you know, I haven't introduced myself formally in a while, so let me explain. I'm John Kane. I'm Mohawk or Gunyagahaga. I live on the Seneca Nation territory of Cataraugus, um, and that is where I broadcast from. This show is broadcast every week from my own studio here on the Cataraugus territory of Seneca Nation, and I connect up with Reggie. Uh, we, we do it through the magic of the Internet. <laughs> And, and that's how we've been. We've actually been doing this since since COVID. So uh, I do hope at some point to make a trip on occasion to New York and do the uh, the show from from the city. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Of course, I used to do events about once a month. You know, whether it was a film presentation or bringing a speaker or maybe even a, an artist of some sort. And um, Look, I'd love to do that after the weather breaks for the winter. You know, I'd, I'd love to try to do some some more of that. I I miss having some face to face contact. And of course, since that time, I'm now carried on WPFW in Washington D.C. So um, even making that trip down to Washington is something that I would look forward to to trying to do. Look, we are. Um, um, I'm trying to connect up with my uh, my my friend uh, and colleague uh, Lance Gums from uh, from Shinnecock Territory. I'm hoping that uh, that Reggie's able to secure that uh, connection. Um, got a couple of things to talk about that, that involve him specifically, but since Shinnecock is is one of the, the nations on uh, their ancestral land on Long Island, uh, we've got some specific Long Island issues I wouldn't mind uh, you know, hitting Lance up with. So that's what I'm hoping we will do. Let me start um, the program by reminding people that we are listener-supported radio, and we count on your contributions to both WBAI and WPFW. Um, look, we're closing out the year. Um, we got a couple of, you know, some special programming and, of course, some special fundraising program happening at both stations. Um, so I may be, I may only have a show, maybe only one show or so uh, be by the, you know, th- to close out the year. Uh, but don't forget, this show and the stations that we're on count on your contributions. And so if you make a contribution to WBAI and WPFW in the name of the show, you do a couple of things. You send uh, a pretty strong signal that, uh, um, that, we, uh, you know, that you support this program, you support the, the programming that, um, um, uh, the programming that um, they carry, including this programming. Um, look, if the, if the sound's a little uh, rough, um, we're going to work on it here. Uh, Reggie, are we sounding a little bit better? Yes? No? It's about the same as I texted you earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll make the best of it. Uh, um, don't know what else I can do about that. <laughs> so, um, uh, Any luck with, uh, with uh, getting Lance online? Still waiting. All right. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see what, uh, if we can get him to, to join us here. Um, we let me see here. Is that, is that any better? Ever get any? Did that clean up at all? Nothing changed. All right. Well, uh, well, this may be what it is. So I apologize. This is again the the challenges of doing remote programming. Um, so um, we'll we'll do the best of it. I will speak as clearly as I can. I don't know if that's going to help much, but uh, I will certainly do what I can here. Um, Look, among the things that I'm hoping to talk to, to Lance about, Lance is one of the representatives to the uh, National Congress of the American Indians, and there has been a challenge uh, and an effort by probably a relatively few um, of the nations that are members of the NCAI uh, to limit membership 
to only federally recognized tribes. Now, some of you may listen to this and say, well, that makes sense. Well, let me tell you, it doesn't make sense because we should not be determined whether we're real or not by the federal government. And if we have a native organization like NCAI that is supposed to represent our interests, it, it seems to me that, that we should develop our own process for, um, for somehow determining who is native and who isn't native or who should qualify for essentially a Congress of, a, of, native, uh, of native people. And, you know, we've talked about the whole issue of pretendians on this program, you know, with the, you know, with the breaking news about Buffy St. Marie. But we but we've had this issue has plagued native peoples for, you know, quite some time. And, and of course, what complicates the whole issue with with who determines who we are is the fact that the federal government has manipulated our um, our nations, our um, our even our membership to, to a large extent. They've they've added they've added people to to nations that were not who they really belonged to. Um, they they've kind of arbitrarily dis- determined who they would recognize and who they don't recognize. Look, many of us have formal treaties with the United States, and we you know our you know our existence is uh, irrefutable, but. What's happened along the way is you end up having both state legislatures and the federal government do what they was termed uh, termination, where they they take it upon themselves to say, we no longer recognize that you exist. And we talked about it last week. The Montucket, who had a bill that was supported you know, by both parties in, in the state legislature that would have reinstated their state recognition. Now, they, they still have some challenges about whether the federal government recognizes the Montauket or not, but the state pulled that recognition back like in the early you know, 20th century. And the, ironically, they claimed that they saw no evidence that they had a functioning government. Well, I got to tell you, I look at the state and the federal government, I'm not sure that I see evidence of a functioning government in those two instances either. But that bill, which would have passed, was vetoed by, by Kathy Hochul, Democratic elected uh, governor of the state of New York. And, you know, so that's, those, these are among some of the things that I wanted to, to, to speak with Lance. And, and I, I do really hope that we uh, uh, are able to secure him on the line because I think Lance can provide some insight, um, especially, you know, being uh, from Shinnecock on Long Island and, and understanding their own challenges that they went through both at the state level and the federal level and continue to go through some of that uh, for that matter. Um, Look, many years ago, I was asked by uh, one of the lawyers working for the Interior Department um, to speak at an event in, uh, in Arizona, um, and it was uh, at the Arizona State University, uh, and the conference was called um, Who Decides You're Real? Uh, fixing the, uh, um, the Federal Acknowledgement Program or, or process, and, and of course, that's the challenge. Look, as I sit here today, I will not be a quote-unquote card-carrying Indian. I am. I'm Mohawk, and and the United States. Okay, we got him. Okay, great. The United States doesn't necessarily recognize the Mohawk Nation. I know that sounds absurd, but it's true. What they recognize in the United States, they recognize the Saint Regis tribe of Mohawk Indians. That's what they recognize, and. There are many of us who are Mohawk or Gunyagahaga that are from various communities that are not um, 
considered St. Regis, and including many of the people who live in Aquasasne who won't claim that, uh, you know, that nomenclature to, uh, to themselves. So this idea of the federal government determining who is and who isn't real is problematic. All right, so uh, look, let me uh, introduce my, my friend, uh, long friend, longtime friend, because we go back a long ways on tax issues, and, and I've known Lance for many, many years. So let me introduce my friend, uh, Lance Gum, uh, from Lance Gums from uh, from Shinnecock. Lance, thanks for joining me here on the program. Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. I, I hear a little bit of an echo, but we might have a little bit of a, a, some sound issues, but we'll we'll work through that. Lance, give me um, a brief description of the best way to uh, to explain who you are, because I know you've you've worked um, within and with uh, and outside of the Shinnecock government, but you've also been working as a delegate or a representative, um, a regional representative for the uh, National Congress of the American Indian. So give me the best description to describe who you are and the function that you serve both in Shinnecock and, uh, and um, in the NCAI. Uh, well, I'm the former tribal chairman of the Shinnecock Nation. Uh, I'm the one that took our tribe through the final 10 years of the 32-year process to be federally acknowledged. Uh, I don't look at it as a recognition. I just... They're just acknowledging uh, the Shinnecock Nation. Uh, 32 years? Well, that, that didn't take very long. Yeah, yeah that's not <laughs> for a two-year process, a uh, federal government process that was supposed to take only two years. Uh, it ended up taking us uh, 32 years uh, to go through that acknowledgement process, say acknowledgement rather what? than recognition, because all it does is give us the ability to receive the federal funds that is part of the trust responsibility that the federal government has to the 574 federally recognized tribes. Well, and, and, and I got to tell you, um, uh, I don't know if you've, you've been, been able to check it out, but there's a great book by Peter Jerico called Federal Anti-Indian Law, and it challenges even this notion of trust responsibility, because the idea that the federal government tries to treat us as their, like they are our trustees is, is problematic on a couple of levels. Now, they have obligations, and there's no question about that, treaty obligations and, and any number of things. But, you know, the idea that they are somehow our custodians, and, and that's the way that so-called trust responsibility has, has worked out. So uh, you, I don't, I'm not trying to contradict what you just said, but I think that there's a it's, – it's, it's more complicated than just using some of these expressions that so many not, – not just, uh, you know, leaders within our, our nations, but – but, you know, uh, scholars, uh, people in academia, but, uh, and activists. And so I think some of this stuff gets, gets really, really confusing. Look, and, and I understand what, you, what you're saying about this federal acknowledgement um, process, um, but I don't think you can leave out, and, 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 and whether you want to get specific or not, it is not just a, 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 um, a process that costs years. It also costs millions of dollars to pursue this thing. And I think that's what... what uh, many people who may hear this uh, this program may not be aware of that that this is such a long drawn out and convoluted process and and look there are pitfalls every step along the way and and to go through this thing you have to be represented by legal counsel you have to go through any number of of, of, of sub processes to get through there so I mean let's not forget that this thing is a very 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 costly endeavor as well. Oh, absolutely. It cost us um, to the tune of $55 million uh, to go through this process. 
And no, I I agree with you 110 percent. And and when I say you know the the notion that you know acknowledging for the purposes of I look at it personally as just repatriations. I don't look at it as um, you know they, that we're their wards. I look at it as they're paying us back for the stolen lands, you know, the the stolen legacy, the the, the lives that were lost. Um, so I just look at it as a payback. I don't consider it anything more than that, um, and that that is their obligation to uh, repatronize and, and repay us, just like they've done in various other uh, instances throughout history when they rebuilt Europe, um, that, you know, the repatriations that they gave to the Japanese um, after the internment camps. So I look at it from that standpoint. I don't look at it as, um, you know, we're under them or any of any of that. So I had, I totally agree with you 110%. Well, and, and, and look, federal recognition or acknowledgement doesn't solve many of the, all those problems either because there's still major obstacles when it comes to reclaiming lost lands, not just in the feet of trust uh, process, but land claims, you know, there's, there's so many challenges that, that, you know, so when we talk about land back, it is, uh, it is always an uphill climb. And, and of course, the other thing that, that can't be ignored is the fact that we're, we're entering a phase of conversation about um, not just necessarily reparations, but what people call reconciliation after, you know, 150, almost 200 years of residential schools, which, which is, is going to be another challenge for for all the nations, you know, coast to coast across the Turtle Island, and 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 it's still a challenge on the on the Canadian side. So there's so many challenges associated with this. But I know that the federal acknowledgement um, slash recognition process it it also serves another function. It clears many many of the hurdles, um, and and unfortunately, it ends up being one standard where somebody can say, "Oh, okay, so you're federally recognized," and and and. And that has now become a bit of a problem. I, before I introduced you, I talked about this uh, attempt at NCAI to limit membership to only federally recognized uh, nations or tribes. Tell me your thoughts on that and, and where that process came from and, and how it's been disposed of, at least temporarily. Well, I'm currently now the tribal ambassador for my nation, uh, representing the, the nation uh, on, that, on that level. Uh, I'm now the regional vice president for the National Congress. Uh, so my territory is actually from Maine to uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm in the, in the first region here. Uh, there's 12 regions around the country for the organization. And there were several uh, federal tribes that started this, uh, ta this, this I call it a, uh, a task to rid the National Congress, um, which was established back in 1944. It is the largest and oldest Native American organization um, representing Indian country uh, as a whole. Um, they started this movement to take out the state tribes that were a part of the organization, uh, basically since the inception of the organization. Um, and and the, the problem with that is, is that they were using, I heard what you said earlier, they were using the, the, this federal standard of being a federally recognized tribe um, to justify this move to remove the state tribes. Uh, and that is where the problem became uh, a real issue, especially with 
a lot of the uh, federal tribes right now who are currently federal but were former state tribes because the state tribes basically predate this whole notion of federalism. They predate the federal, uh, the, the, the Constitution, predate the United States. So this became a real issue uh, and a real fight that dragged out uh, over the course of several months uh, within the National Congress, culminating with a vote um, three weeks ago that uh, actually defeated the amendment changes. But it was two tribes. Uh, it was the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma and the uh, Ute tribe um, that brought forth these amendment changes to take out the, uh, the, the state tribes. Well, and I don't think people quite understand that, that there is a fair level of infighting that exists. And part of that infighting has been caused by the, the federal government dividing people, re relocating people, pushing people from one territory to another. And then you have remnants of those original people who, who stay. I mean, um, well, look, we see it playing out with the Tuscarora. The Tuscarora in New York want to claim that the Tuscarora who remain in the Carolinas are somehow not legitimate. And, and so we see this challenge that exists in the infighting that happens between groups of Native. We see amongst the Lenape, the Delaware Lenape, there's, there's so much infighting that goes on. And, uh, and, you know, and I hate to air that dirty laundry because it sounds so terrible, but I think people have to understand. And of course, part of that infighting is because there are fraudulent uh, actors in all this who are claiming to be nations, who are claiming to be tribes. And this notion of these corporations that are acting as, uh, as, as native uh, tribes or whatever else, there's even an acronym for it. I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but uh, um, yeah, I mean, so there are, there are challenges. Alaska Native Corporations in, in Alaska. Um, you're talking about uh, obviously the these fake pop-up tribes, and that was the, that was the crux of it. That was what they were trying to use as the excuse for ridding the the uh, the National Congress of the state tribes is that they were all fake. And to that extent, you had several tribal leaders, you know, come right out and say that all state tribes and former state tribes were, were fakes or social clubs. And so it, that's where, you know, it created a lot of tension. But they were going under the guise that it was a protection of sovereignty, um, that this somehow was the protection of sovereignty, again, under this notion of federalism. And that's where, you know, the line had to be drawn in the sand because, as you clearly pointed out, you know, earlier, um, the federal government does not make us Indian. This federal process does not make us Indian. And for them to want to use that as the measuring stick or the determining factor um, was just, it was outlandish and it was unacceptable on multiple levels. Well, I, I and think, and I think one, of the where, that, one of the things that's got to be brought up is that the notion of federalism is the antithesis to native sovereignty. I mean, the federalism says that we fit within their order, their, within their governmental order system, and and we don't. I mean, so whether whether we are acknowledged by the state, whatever state, or the federal government, that doesn't mean that we become a, some sort of municipality within their system of federalism. And I think that's a, that's a huge issue because I think some native territories do try to um, 
vie for that kind of, uh, um, I mean, look, you got the Cherokee that are trying to get, um, they're trying to get seats, uh, some sort of representation in Congress. And look, in the U.S. Congress, not not the Congress of the American Indian. So I find some of that stuff problematic because it's hard to make your case that you're sovereign if you are finding yourself within and, and vying for that system of federalism. I, I, I don't think that, that people fully understand, the, again, that complexity. And I agree with you 110%. And that was the, that was the crux of the arguments that we uh, were bringing forth, is that you know, even to your point, you know, with Ch uh, CNO, Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, um, wanting to um, uh, uh, have a representative from their tribe uh, on, in, in Congress. And they have this treaty uh, that they're using that says that they were supposed to have this representation in Congress and so that's, you know, that's the crux of their argument um, in, in turning to or in, in attempting to um, have a member of the Cherokee Nation um, uh, and an at-large seat uh, as a member of Congress. So, uh, again, you know, you look at these, you look at all of these dynamics um, and, you know, it, it, it just goes back to this whole colonized mindset that the only way that, you know, uh, we can be accepted or, or looked at as Indian people is if we're acknowledged by the federal government. Well, and, and my, cha my, challenge, my challenge to the NCAI is why, why don't they put together a process that could be mutually agreed upon? You know, I know that's a difficult thing, <laughs> um, but l let there be a native process. I mean, I'm all, I am more concerned about who we recognize as far as each other what, than whether, you know, whether Kathy Hochul is going to veto a bill, uh, you know, to keep the Montauk, uh, Montucket down, or whether you know we are still experiencing the the remnants of the termination era at the federal level. I mean, I, I think that we should develop our own processes if you know about what it means to become diplomatically engaged, native to native, nation to nation. I agree with you, and I and that's one of the things that we did bring up is that this should not have even gone that far. However, within the National Congress. Um, we do have a mechanism um, when we're doing resolutions and passing resolutions that no resolution can be tribe on tribe or can be considered tribe against tribe. However, in the amendment process of the organization for the constitution of the organization, there was no process for that. So they were able to utilize um, the amendment process to try to remove these tribes um, because there was no tribe on tribe. Now, you know, if it was a resolution, this would have been thrown out instantly as a tribe on tribe situation and would not have gone, you know, seen the light of day. But because that, you know, mechanism is not there in the amendment process, they were able to push this through and then it became a mandatory, mandatory that there be a vote held on it um, to make the determination. Um, the vote, you know, um, you know, was it was voted down overwhelmingly uh, because it did require a two-thirds majority of the, uh, the the voting members of the National Congress. So it was voted down overwhelmingly, but that still does not address um, the concern and the issue that I have that we're, you know, uh, allowing ourselves to 
use this this federal mechanism, colonial of mechanism, acknowledgement. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. It's a, and that's, that was my argument. I, and then all the tribal leaders that I talked to around the country, I said, you know, this is not a protection of sovereignty. Sovereignty is inherent. Sovereignty is not given to us by the federal government. Sovereignty is is who we are. It is the protection of our languages. It's the protection of our lands. It is the protection of our way of life, our cultural and traditional values. That's exercising your sovereignty, creating your own laws within your community. All of those are the exercise of sovereignty. It is not whether or not the federal government is going to hand us a few dollars to run some programs. They, and, and, and they're lost on this, and, that, and that's what has been so frustrating in this process here um, that we went through over these last several months, just listening to some of the tribal leaders. And I was just I was taken back because we're not built like that here on the East Coast, and it was mostly um, those tribes that are treaty tribes. And lo and behold, uh, at, the, at the meeting when we were going through the debating process, that's one of the issues that came out. One of the issues that uh, one of the tribal leaders got up on the stage and said was, well, basically, you know, the treaty tribe should have all the money because they're the ones that fought the battles. They're the ones forgetting, nonetheless, forgetting that, you know, they got to us 200 years before they got to the Western tribes. Uh, you know, they were to us in the 15, 16, 14, 15, 1600s. They didn't get out west there until the 1800s. But nonetheless, they were talking um, this, this crazy rhetoric about how they were um, the ones fighting the real battles, the real wars, and that they should have the bulk of this federal funding because they're treaty tribes. Well, and so the, the irony, the irony is that, this, the irony is that, that it's nations like us who have been on the forefront of many of the, the more contemporary battles. So when they use this, this, this nomenclature like treaty tribes, for one thing, treaties don't disturb, they don't determine um, who we are either. And, and there, you know, when I, even when I hear people use things like treaty rights, there are no rights that are given to us in treaties. There may be acknowledged in a couple of them, but the, the absence of that acknowledgement doesn't mean that that right doesn't exist. So, so even that language is really tough. Lance, you know, because I, don't, I, I know we got, I, I got a few things I wanted to cover. Talk to me a little bit about the Montaukett um, uh, situation and, the, and what they went through, and, and including Kathy Hochul's, the governor of the state of New York, her, her veto of the bill that would have reestablished uh, re their, their state recognition. Tell me what, t talk to me about that. Yeah, well, you know that's an, that's another one of these issues, you know, that we're we're looking at. I'm I'm Montauk. Most of our Shinnecock people are Shinnecock Montauk, Montaukett. Um, Wine Dance, who was the the chief, uh, the the great chief, had brothers, and they were they were all disseminated through the thirteen tribes that once were here on Long Island. So uh, at the end of the day, we're Montaukett as well, and the Montauks in 1910. Um, we're sitting in a courtroom, a state courtroom, and this state court judge, just with a stroke of a pen, said they don't exist anymore. Um, and there were over 300-plus um, Montauk sitting in the room, including my great-grandmother, who spoke out against it, Mariah Ashman. And the, the issue um, was that the, this group um, out of New York City wanted to build a railroad all the way out to Montauk, and they needed to Montauk its land. And they knew that they could not take the land under the Non-Intercourse Act. Um, and so they, the only way to actually get the land was to say that the tribe did not exist anymore. 
And so in 1910, in this courtroom, uh, this, uh, this state court judge, which was illegal because it violated the, the, the Non-Intercourse Act in that aspect as well, because no state court judge had the right to determine who was and who was not Indian, but uh, he wiped them off the map and said that they did no longer existed. Since that time period, um, Chief Robert Farrell, Chief Bob Cooper, uh, they've all been um, fighting to get their state recognition back. Uh, and they've had the support of the New York State Assembly and the, and the, and the, uh, and the uh, legislature, or, or the whole legislative the Senate, body yeah, yeah. Um, voted unanimously um, five times. They voted unanimously to push the, uh, the uh, Montauk recognition bill through. Three times uh, Governor Cuomo um, vetoed it. And then now twice uh, uh, Governor uh, Hochul has vetoed it. And the reasoning that they're giving, I mean, they've, they've been all over the place with it. Uh, there's been no sound justification. Uh, our local assemblyman out here, Fred Thiel, uh, has called it one of the most racist acts uh, in, in New York State's uh, judicial history. Um, and yet, nonetheless, they have uh, continued to veto this, um, this state recognition for whatever reasons, whether they... I don't know whether they think that the, you know, the Montauks are going to try to do gaming or whatever the situation may be. There seems to be no legitimate answer um, from either Governor Cuomo or Kathy Hochul as to why they continue to veto this bill. Well, and, and, I, and I look, th there's no question that Native people have, have been the victims and experienced racism and, and have done and have experienced racism throughout the American history. But, but I think when we reduce it just to an issue of racism, we ignore the fact that they have codified into U.S. law this notion of the doctrine of Christian discovery. And I think ignoring that and, and not, not calling it out for what it is is part of the problem. Because, look, you can't just fight racism in, in, in a court. You've got to fight the statute. You've got to fight the foundation of their legal arguments. Look, the Non-Intercourse Act is, is, is great, but, you know, at the end of the day, it hasn't provided the, the protections. And part of the whole thing is because underlying all of that is this notion that a court or, uh, you know, the a state or federal government can declare that we exist or don't exist just based on this arbitrary Christian dogma that has been codified into U.S. law. Look, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the liberal darling of the Supreme Court, cited the doctrine of Christian discovery in a case against the Oneidas in 2005. And if we don't address that, and look, even with the, with the church so-called supposedly re repudiating it, it still ends up being foundational in everything from, from land title issues to jurisdictional issues to, you know, uh, to any number of, of things that, that impact our, our you know, and, and look, I have no problem calling that racism, but we have to go beyond this, you know, the, these energized words like racism and talk about the specifics. And I, and I, and I think that's what I, what I saw in the, in the Montauk, Montauk issue. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, what, you know, let, let's really call it out what it is. I mean, the doctrine of discovery out of the Catholic Church, you know, has um, been the nemesis, not just here in the United States, but around the world. Um, you know, and, and every, in every country that had um, tribal people, whether it's New Zealand, whether it was Australia, Africa. I mean, you go around the world and, 
every, everywhere, everywhere around the world, the, the, the doctrine of discovery has been the catalyst behind, you know, the, the, the so-called conquering. If you were not Christian uh, or had the Christian doctrination, then, you, um, then they had the right to seize all of your property, your lands, and to um, turn around and, you know, Christianize you. Um, and, you know, and so to your point, absolutely, that is what the United States, you know, did um, here. And it is, you know, we've been after um, the, the Pope, the current Pope, uh, to rescind. You know, repudiating is one thing. We want it rescinded. We want that, that doctrine of discovery rescinded by the Catholic Church. Um, there's been various channels that have been working on that. And, you know, the, the, the issue comes down to money. They're afraid that if they rescind this doctrine, that there will be major lawsuits, not only from the United States you know, or, or our people, but from around the world, from the indigenous populations around the world. Um, when he went to Canada um, to uh, visit the, 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 the grave sites of all of the children that they found that uh, had been, you know, uh, killed in the, in the boarding schools, and he went over there. Um, you know, I, I was absolutely appalled that the tribal leadership over there gave him a headdress. You know, uh, and 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 this honoring without you know bringing up or uh, talking about the rescinding of this doctrine of discovery. Well, and, and to, um, and, to your and point, I think I think let me explain the difference between rescinding it and repudiating it. Because what the church has essentially alleged is that, oh, we never, we never supported the doctrine of Christian discovery in the first place. That wasn't us. We, that was these nations that misinterpreted these papal bulls. We never, we never uh, promoted or encouraged or you know, established this doctrine of Christian discovery, which is, a, which is a blatant lie. So by them saying we always, we've always opposed it and we oppose it today, rescinding would say, look, we acknowledge our role in that. We acknowledge that that we perpetuated that and promoted promoted that that ideal, and we you know. But see, the, the church, the church, and the pope they always want to consider themselves infallible. So their refusal to rescind it uh, makes it sound like that they were never never culpable in the first place. And and I and that's where I have a problem with with both the, the so called repudiation um, and and these and the pope's apology tours and all that other stuff. So I I, I appreciate you know your position on this thing because I think. That's that's exactly the problem. Is that not only does it, does this church dogma, which was promoted by the Catholic Church heavily, and have to remember at the time there was no other church. There was only the Catholic Church. The, the Anglican churches didn't exist at, uh, in the beginning when when this thing was first being established as as essentially international policy. And when when Justice John Marshall codifies it in the U.S. law, he goes even a little farther. He suggests that. That they have this extravagant pretension—that's the words he used—that equate discovery with conquest. So they all they had to do was lay their eyes on us, and that's what Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in her in her note in her footnotes in the Oneida case, uh, she just said that the the uh, fee title land became vested in the discovering nations of uh, of Europe. She didn't say how; she just says under the doctrine of discovery. That's how that that's the process, and by citing it in that manner, doesn't really address. You know, well, how is that legal? And and of course, they just passed the laws to make them legal, and and th and that's that's part of what Dorico addresses in his federal anti-Indian law book. That uh, that again, I recommend it highly. Look, I wanted to um, 
part of the, a lot of these conversations about so-called recognition or acknowledgement get back to this this notion of pretendianism. Obviously, the Buffy St. Marie a bombshell, um, you know, probably the most, I don't know, the most famous of, of people who utilize this, this made-up identity to promote her career and promote herself and receive awards, uh, awards all over the place, um, has, has drawn a lot of attention. But we are plagued with this. And, you know, look, we got this organization that, that, that many of us, and, and yourself included, and the NCAI, has, uh, have, we, we were forced to address this, this Native American Guardians Association, this group of hacks, most of them are, are frauds um, uh, and pretendians themselves, that go around supporting the use of Native mascots in, in these schools. They pander to white people. And, you know, and so we're always kind of forced to acknowledge that they even exist even though nobody promotes or endorses or uh, has supported this organization. But they're another example of, of this notion of, of, of a people who claim to be what they're not and then do harm to Native people as we're trying to address policy changes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we have a, they filed a lawsuit against the National Congress um, claiming that, you know, we were the instrumental in... Uh, having that name of the Washington football team um, removed. And, you know, we, we were instrumental in that, but it wasn't just us, you know, in terms of that. Um, it was all know, of I, us. I was in a meeting with Snyder <laughs> yeah. when, when he was, uh, you know, when we were fighting that, the name of, that, of the Washington football team. And he refused to change it. He wasn't going to change it. It, it didn't, he didn't remotely begin to change it until he lost the Nike deal and the Amazon deal, um, and that's when he, you know, started to realize that it was hurting. It was hitting him in his, um, in his pocketbook, and so he, you know, decided to change it. But this group that is out there, um, supposedly out of the Dakota, South Dakota, someplace, um, no one seems to know who they are. Um, they've come out of the woodwork and they've filed these lawsuits against everyone, and they lose uh, them all. That they, they've lost them all. <laughs> Yeah, they're, lo- they're, lo- they're losing because they have no standing. Right, they have right. zero standing. Nobody knows who they are. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're bringing this, um, the, exactly what you said, the pretendians. You know, this notion that um, so somehow they are the, the guardians of uh, the, the, these mascots and that these mascots in some kind of way, shape, or form uh, are an honor to Indian people is this, you know, uh, outlandish. Well, and, and, their, and their claim is that they, getting ri- getting rid of the mascots is erasing Native history, which is which is of course absurd. And as you probably know, I played a major role in getting the statewide ban. I took on my high school, old high school, and that turned into a. Uh, um, uh, an issue with the New York State Department of Education. I pushed it there. I was I, I was seated on um, uh, Dr. Betty Rose, the Commissioner of Education, her uh, Indigenous Mascot Advisory Council, and we made this happen. and And it was a culmination of everything that everybody's done up to this point. I may have been the point person pushing this over the line, but I couldn't have done it if we didn't have resolution after resolution, statement after statement from all of the nations, six nations, NCAI, USET, every, every organization, Native American Journalists Association, all of it. And, and the only defense that they ever have is this, is this crazy group of, uh, of hacks that go out there pandering to white people. And now you have four nations in Long Island 
that, or no, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, four school districts in Long Island who are trying to bring suit against either New York State Education Department um, uh, or the commissioner herself for pushing pushing this this ban through. And and look, the it's 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 almost impossible to have an intelligent conversation with people who can't, can't see the wrong in using Native people for mascots. But that's what we have. That's what we have. And it's ironic that you've, that you've got sometimes these affluent school districts in Long Island that are willing to spend millions of dollars fighting to keep playing Indian as a part of their school culture. You're absolutely right. And we've had conversations with them. We had conversations with Wine Dance and, and, uh, you know, and, and Wine Dance especially – because that was one of our greatest, you know, um, our greatest tribal leaders down here on the island. You know, he was, he was the chief of chiefs. And so, you know, their, their thing is, well, they're not using, you know, Indian mascots. They're using the warriors. But wine dance warriors um, is offensive to us, especially with that name. I mean, so, again, you know, they, they have taken suit. There's, there's three other schools that are challenging, you know, the uh, – the uh, the the law that you know was passed, and you know I do commend you on that because I know that you were working on that. You know we I was working from the federal side of of this, you know with the with the with the national teams, um, but I do definitely commend you on on the work that you did um, in in bringing it first of all to the forefront, and then uh, you know actually uh, getting this thing passed because it is offensive. I mean, there's been study after study after study that has been done with our children, you know, and the negative effects that it has on our children, uh, our tribal children, when they see these, you know, these imageries and, and the, you know, the war hoops and the war cries and all of these fake um, uh, maneuvers that they do at the games and stuff. Yeah, and, play, out know, there trying to dance our, on a football field and the like. Yeah, basically it's, it's, it's mockery. And... You know, and look, whether we, we can argue about whether which words are more offensive than others, but the, the point is, it's the idea that you've got non-Native people mocking our existence and, and playing Indian as a part of their, I mean, look, they're using false stereotypical images, they're using their own made up, I mean, look, you couldn't do this to any other, body. I mean, can, I always say this, could you even imagine if a school wanted to use uh, some sort of black imagery for their mascot. I mean, it would nobody. There'd be li no question about the offensive nature of trying to use a, a black imagery for for a school mascot. But somehow, this notion that using native people and we're supposed to we're supposed to buy their argument that they're honoring us, even we, when we tell them that you're not honoring us. And of course, they 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 make a mockery of the imagery of the uh, you know of of our ceremonies of our culture you know the, uh, all of that stuff and it also teaches these children that we are merely those relics of the past that they emulate or attempt to emulate with their mascots it doesn't acknowledge us as contemporary human beings living in in uh, living and fighting many of these issues still today no you you're right you know, there was a there was an interesting poster that was done some time back, um, and a gentleman had brought it to our powwow out here on Labor Day weekend, and we actually put it up, and, and it had it listed all of these names, and it said, "How would you feel? You know, how would you feel if there was a team called the Kansas City Kikes, or you know, I mean, it went right down the line. You know, every, every the, racial the, slur uh, you can imagine. Yep, exactly. 
You know, how, how would you feel? And it, and it listed all of the, you know, the, the, the ethnic groups and, and all of the slur words that are used to identify the other ethnic groups. And, and people were greatly offended by that. You know, they were like, how dare you? How could you put that up? How could we put that up? Well, how, how is it that you can look at, you know, these, these words here that are associated with your, you know, um, um, ethnic origin or your group of people, but when we say that, you know, here's a problem with who we are um, and, and the use of these words, it's, it's, it's like, oh, well, but that's different. No, it's not different, and you're, you're, and you're feeling it right now. Well, and, and, it was, and it was one of the really things, amazing. the reason that I'm glad to have you on the conversation to talk about this is because what we what we hear that comes from the right wingers is that this is merely wokeism. It's merely the, a liberal agenda. They try to politicize it in their culture wars. When the fact of the matter is, the commissioner of education in 2001, who was George Pataki's appointee, was the first commissioner who called on schools to get rid of this thing. It wasn't. I mean. The reason I was successful with, with the push in New York State is because I didn't go to the legislature. I went through the New York State Department of Education. I used the Board of Regents and, and, the, and the Commissioner of Education. I pushed it through as an education policy more so than, than a law that was passed. I think it would be great if the New York State legislature came through and pissed, uh, pushed a law through that would su support that. But in the absence of it... I knew that the commissioner had the authority to do this. I knew the Board of Regents had the authority to do that. And I felt like they were a less political entity to push something. I mean, these are professionals. They're, their jobs are education. So when you push this thing through, through professionals who understand the role of psychology, understand the role of, um, of equity and inclusion and, uh, you know, and bullying and all of this other stuff, and the, and the flaws associated with, with stereotyping, now you can get it out of the culture wars. But that's what we hear. We hear white people saying, well, this is just a liberal agenda. And they want to ignore the fact that we're the ones who are responsible for this happening. We're the ones who pushed, pushed it and made it an issue that ultimately would take out the Washington football team's name and the Cleveland baseball team's name. And no, we aren't giving the Kansas City team a, a pass or the, or the Atlanta baseball team a pass or the Chicago hockey team a pass. No, we're still fighting all those things. And that's why I'm glad that you're still doing this stuff at the national level. We're definitely, you know, definitely still fighting those, and especially those three teams that you just mentioned. Um, you know, obviously, you know, to, to sit there and watch a baseball game and see the tomahawk chop, you know, in Atlanta, and you know, it, it, these are the type of um, issues that were still part of the fight. You know, and obviously, you know, we we learned the lesson, you know, where we have to go, and it is we have to go after their pocketbooks and and. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sponsors and, and the funders, because that's the only way that the Washington name got changed. And, um, you know, as, as a uh, uh, member of the National Congress, you know, this is still very much on our radar. Uh, and, you know, it is something that we're going to continue to fight with, especially these other three teams. Um, and, you know, they've already reached out, you know, several times to uh, Kansas City uh, concerning this. And... Um, you know, it, it is something that, you know, is just going to on, ongoing fight. You know, it, you know how it is. I mean, nothing happens overnight when it comes to us, you know, in terms of change. So, um, you know, we just have to be patient and, and continue to fight the good fight. 32 years for, uh, to be federally acknowledged. Yeah. Nothing happens quick. <laughs> nothing happens quickly. Especially for a process that was only supposed to take two years by legisl by law, 
it says the process is a two-year process. And, you know, it was unbelievable that, you know, we went through something of of this nature, um, you know, and and, and literally having to actually sue the federal government at the end for unreasonable delay. Um, And and we won. We won that on unreasonable delay terms because it was just, you know, outside of the whole realm of what this and, and how long it was supposed to take. And that's part of the issue you know, that is going on when, you know, you have these same charges that we're trying to put the state charges out saying, oh, well, just go through the process, go through the process. I mean, if you look at the Virginia tribes, you know, they're, they're literally the first contact tribes, um, you know, uh, down in Virginia there, and they ended up having to go through a completely different process with uh, uh, Donald Trump acknowledging them of uh, the six tribes in Virginia. So, you know, there's multiple ways that you can do this, but at the end of the day, um, it shouldn't have to be done at all. Uh, you know, there, there, there should be that mechanism, as you said, of those tribes who recognize those tribes around us, and we should be the ones doing that, and then having the, the, the federal government just say, okay, you know, we're, we're, we accept your conclusion. And, exactly. you know, you brought up a very good point um, with the tribes fighting the tribes. You got the, you know, the... The, the Nanticooks over here in New Jersey, you got the, uh, the Ramapo, and they're being opposed um, because, uh, you know, there's a claim that no, no Indians were left behind. But how do you explain Oneida in New York and you got Oneida in Wisconsin? Or you got, you know, the Seminole tribe of Florida in Florida, and then you got the Seminole tribe of Oklahoma. Cherokee and Carolinas, yep. No, absolutely. And so, yeah, yep. there's so much... Yep. There's so many examples of this, and and you know, so when you have some of this being infighting or fighting, you know, tribe on tribe, as you as you mentioned earlier, that's that's problematic. And and part of the whole thing, honestly, some of it has to do with fighting over limited resources, and 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 absolutely, and really, it comes down to an absolute failure of the federal government to acknowledge our sovereignty. And you know, look, and that's one of the things I say about when we we address some of this this residential school issue. Yeah, I want truth, but I don't want reconciliation. I want restoration. I want restoration of our autonomy, our distinction, our lands. Now, that's not to say that I'm saying that every white person has to leave, uh, leave our ancestral lands, but we need restoration of some of our land bases, and you know, especially for those who are fighting for this you know, through some of this acknowledgement process. It's it's just it's just a, a, a terrible situation, and 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 it is based on the doctrine of discovery. It is based on. You know, the racist and white supremacy that has been so prevalent. Look, one of the things I wanted to mention, because I, it just occurred to me, you mentioned that the Doctrine of Discovery had a, a big part about conversion. But let's be clear. The Doctrine of Discovery was the basis for slavery, for, for mass, uh, mass murder, and any number of things, not, uh, not just displacement and, and conversion. But it was, it was the justification for the entire transatlantic slave trade, but which went both ways. It went Africa to, to the Western Hemisphere, and it went from the Western Hemisphere to European nations, to the Caribbean. And, and that's, you know, I mean, look, that's a, been part, a big part of the, uh, the Shinnecock and the Puspatuck uh, history. N- Native people who were enslaved and sent to work sugar plantations in the Caribbean. Oh, absolutely. You got, I mean, you look at the, you know, the Pequots, they have the, you know, over there in um, Barbados, is it Barbados? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Lance, with, I hate to cut you short. I just realized a, that we're, I'm running out of time. Over there. 
I, I'm, right, I'm running short on time, so let me, let me thank you again for joining me. And, look, we covered a lot of territory here, and I'm so glad to have you. I'd love to have you come back, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do it again, uh, especially as some of the stuff continues to unfold. I want to thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, keep at it, and uh, let's, uh, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I'm always uh, grateful to be able to put the, uh, the truth out there about what's really going on. Well, and I appreciate that. You're, you're doing good work, and, and, and I, I applaud you for it. Look, I want to thank those of you listening to this program. Um, look, you're going to hear stuff on Resistance Radio that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And so I always have to thank you for tuning us in, for giving us your ear, and uh, supporting the radio stations, WBAI and WPFW in the process. It is really important that you support this community-sponsored um, uh, radio and, uh, and support voices like mine and the voices that I'm allowed to bring onto this, uh, onto this program. Uh, so, again, I appreciate it. I hope folks enjoy their whatever they call this, this season for their, their holidays, Christmas, Kwanzaa, uh, <laughs> Hanukkah, whatever. You know, I hope people enjoy the solstice um, and, uh, and bringing in the new year. Um, and look, continue to support the program, continue to support these stations, and uh, we'll have more to come. I want to thank you, for, uh, thank you once again. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.